preliminary study of anti-Semitism. And I see there's a lot of new faces here, so uh, we're circulating a, a sign-up sheet if you want to receive notices of our other events. Um, we deal with a wide range of issues and also a comparative perspective. Please sign up, and we also have a newsletter that we send out once a week, if anybody's interested. Um, so today, it's uh, really a great pleasure and honor uh, to have Professor George Pan here. He's going to speak about Jews in China, legends, history, and new perspectives. He's the Dean of the Center of Jewish uh, Studies in Shanghai, at the CJSS. And um, just on a personal note, uh, I was in Shanghai about three weeks ago at the center, and it was really an honor to, to be at the center and to meet Professor Pan and his colleagues. So it's really, it's wonderful that he's here so soon after our visit to Shanghai that he's able to be here with us. Um, Professor Pine is not only the Dean of the Center for Jewish Studies in Shanghai, he's also the Professor and Director. He's the Director also of the Institute of European and Asian Studies at, Shang at the Shanghai Academy of Social Sciences. He's the Vice Chairperson of the Chinese Society of Middle East <coughs> Studies and was the Director of the Institute of Eurasian Studies at SASS. He is a senior advisor to, to the Chinese uh, Eurasian Forum and is a senior advisor on issues of anti-terror affairs to the Shanghai Municipality and the Ministry of Public Security of the PRC. He studied at Renman, Renmin University in Beijing and the East China Normal University in Shanghai. He's published widely. He's written numerous books and articles on the Jews of China, the Jews in Shanghai, and, the, and more generally, the Jews of uh, Asia from a comparative perspective. And he's also written on issues of Islam and Confucianism and the, and the development of Chinese Islam. Uh, he's won all sorts of awards, all sorts of numerous awards. I won't go into details, but um, I'll mention a few. In 2005, he was appointed by the UN Secretary General Kofi Annan as a member of the high-level group uh, for the Alliance of Civilizations. <coughs> In 2004, he won the St. Petersburg 300 Medal for Contribution to Chinese-Russian Relations and was awarded by President Putin. Um, in 96, he was awarded a special uh, award or prize for research on Canadian Jews in China. Uh, and the list goes on, so it's really wonderful that he's here. And on a footnote, um, when I was in Shanghai, my master's degree is actually in urban development planning, urban studies. And I remember approaching Shanghai from the airport for the first time and seeing the skyline of Shanghai. And from a distance, it looked like New York City from afar. And as I got closer, I realized the buildings were about 20-30% bigger and newer. And I was impressed. And then the taxi turned to the left and I looked down the river and I realized that Shanghai is probably three times the size of Manhattan. It kind of blew my mind. And um, it's really an impressive. Uh, city, an impressive place, and having the opportunity to tour uh, with members of, of Professor Pan's Center some of the places of the uh, Jewish community, the history of the Jewish community, and visiting the synagogues and the neighborhoods where people live, where people took refuge uh, from pogroms and from the Holocaust. It was really um, a moving uh, experience to see firsthand how the Chinese uh, society took in Jewish refugees at a time uh, of great uh, need of the Jewish people. So it was, it was fascinating to see this and to understand the connection which is deeply appreciated in China. 
uh, this part of uh, Chinese Jewish history. So it's really nice that you're here and welcome. Thank you, Charles, and uh, <coughs> happy to be here first time. This is also first time lecture in Yale. So, um, this is a great honor for me. <coughs> I just uh, discussed with uh, Charles. We uh, talk, I will maybe talk about uh, 30 minutes, and we keep more time for the discussion. And uh, I mainly, I, I, will, I will not read the paper. I just show you a photo. Every photo I will give you some comments, explanation. <coughs> So first part, I just give a overview, general overview, general picture of Jews in China. And basically, it's a, we call the four waves of Jewish immigration to China. And the firstly, in the ancient time, around the 7th, 8th, ninth centuries, Jews come to China around the Silk Road, this one, around Silk Road, <coughs> to Kaifeng, I think, the Jewish community in Kaifeng. Uh, because uh, Kaifeng became capital of China during the Song Dynasty. Jewish community in Kaifeng was very prosperous, about 5,000 people. Uh, basically, after 12 centuries, gradually, a very long process, they assimilated into Chinese culture. And the second wave is modern time. So after the British opened the door of China, many the businessmen come. Among them, Sephardic Jews, like Sassoon family, Catholic family, all come. They basically, they are from the Iraq, they go to the India, like Sassoon family, they set a company in Bombay, or older we call it Bombay, now they call it Bombay. Then they all the way to Singapore. In 1841, they set office in Hong Kong, uh, 1984, uh, sorry, the 18, 18, uh, 1841 in Hong Kong, 1845 in Shanghai. The third group is very close connection with here, is Russian Jews. They escaped from the Pagod, you know, the 1881, the Pagod in Russia, anti-Semitism, then the revolution, civil war. So several million Jews, Russian Jews, come to North America, very small group to Siberia, to the city Harbin. Then uh, some Jews from Harbin to Tianjin, to Shanghai, to many other cities. It's a third wave. And last one is a refugee, escaped from Holocaust, They're from Europe, so all the way by ship. But after war broke out between UK and uh, Germany, uh, Nazi Germany, they have to close Soviet Union. And then after war broke out between Soviet Union and Germany, uh, nobody can uh, escape from Europe. <coughs> Most of them come to Shanghai, because Shanghai is the only city open the door. So this is very, uh, just to give you an idea, you can have Then I give uh, many photos about Kaifeng. I just give one. I don't want to take too much time about Kaifeng. Uh, this is very significant in Senegal, in Kaifeng. This is, uh, only synagogue, like Chinese temple, in the world. Mm -hmm. You can find this synagogue in the base Hatafusu Museum in Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. There is a model there, and also in, in Israeli stamp. In Israeli stamp, this is uh, called the synagogue in China. 
very confusing. And you, you don't know it's Buddhist and Taoist and mixed. And uh, anyway, this is uh, only one Chinese style Seneca in the world. And the Typhoon Jews, we can maybe have time to discuss if you have uh, more questions. <coughs> and the Sephardic. And this is a Seneca in Hong Kong called Hell Lip Seneca. Uh, founded in 1901-1902, uh, donated by the Sassoon family. And uh, recently they are renovating, uh, very nice, and the uh, Jewish community in Hong Kong about 3,000 to 5,000 people. Thank you. Very successful. <laughs> and this is uh, Safaric Seneca in Shanghai, Ohio Rahil Seneca. And it's still there. And uh, uh, renovating for 1998, the president, uh, Mrs. Clinton's village. So uh, I was guide for uh, Mrs. Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State. He visited uh, Seneca and with uh, the Secretary of Lech and all other. And he's a Jewish member of the delegation. <coughs> now, Russian Askenazi Jews in China, main Seneca in Harbin, built in 1907. You can see the Russian, the Harbin Seneca. And recently, they renovated Seneca. It's a museum. I will talk this uh, uh, later. This is the Jewish community, the leadership. Jewish community. We have just met two people, Rabbi Isselin from Russia, Orthodox, and Mr. Kaufman is the leader of Jewish community. The very interesting thing is that his son, Teddy Kaufman, now is uh, President Igoda Yossi in Israel. It means the Association of Former Relevants in China. He is president and uh, also, is he also elected as a president called Israel-China Friendship Association. They're very active. <coughs> Only one synagogue in Tianjin. In Tianjin, there was about 2,000 to 3,000 different opinions. Some people said 5,000. Very active Jewish community. Most is Russian Jews, Russian Ashkenazi Jews. And this is a very famous Jewish school in Tianjin. Many the Jews educated there learn to speak English. And still now in the United States there's for Alumni Association, Tianjin Jewish School. And uh, every year we get together. Now Shanghai, the Russian Askenazi Jews in, in China is uh, very active is, uh, in Shanghai, especially after early 1930s when Japanese occupied Japan. Uh, since Japan was the uh, alliance of Hitler. So many Jews and, and, and some anti-Semitism uh, in, in Harbin, not, not by Chinese, by the uh, Chinese secret police and by white Russian, very anti-Semitic. So uh, many people uh, left Harbin, come to Shanghai. In the middle of 1930s, about 5,000 Jews in Shanghai. This is Rabbi, Chief Rabbi May Askenazi Lubavitch from Vladivostok. Uh, uh, at the beginning, he was a spiritual leader of Russian Jews. Uh, but he's so kind, so finally he became the really leader for the old Jewish community. Not only Russian Jews, he survived Jews, a German-speaking refugee. Now the refugee, four waves, arrived in Shanghai, December 1938. Remember, Christoph, November 1938. 
Last year, I was very honored to, to be invited by the United Nations in New York to give a speech in 70 anniversary, 1938 and 2008. The United Nations have special seminar and ceremony in memory of the 70 year, 70 anniversary of Christmas. And uh, Ambassador Israel, Ambassador Germany all join us. And uh, only me from China reason because Shanghai was the only city open the door after Christmas. Even United States at that time closed the door. So Shanghai was the bigger city, larger city, open the door for the refugee. So only in the 10 months, 20,000 refugees uh, coming to Shanghai, uh, especially from the, uh, Germany, Austria, and later the occupied Czechoslovakia, Poland, or Lithuania. And uh, so, before the, the Pearl Harbor, December of uh, 1941, Japanese occupied Shanghai. The Jewish community in Shanghai already, you know, had through congregation, they call Sephardic Jews, Russian Jews, and refugees from the, uh, Germany. You know, the refugee community is also, uh, there's uh, some group like Polish Jews, they are independent group. They speak Yiddish, and very orthodox from many yeshiva, <coughs> yeshiva. and uh, the Jews from Czechoslovakia, small group, and German Jews, Austria Jews, basically it's a reform, not very orthodox. So there are such many the very interesting things in Shanghai, for example, Jewish club in Shanghai. Now, now it's a building of Shanghai Conservatory Music. When the people come to Shanghai, we sometimes uh, bring them to this building. And the Jewish hospital in Shanghai, the medical doctor most is from uh, Germany and Russia. And Harbin, <coughs> the Jewish cemetery in Harbin, still 600 stone. I will show you the, the former Prime Minister Ahmed's grandfather's stone. I will show you his family from Harbin. <coughs> and very interesting in Shanghai, there is a Jewish company of Shanghai, the Volunteer Corps. It's uh, in 1930s, it's only uh, Jewish, uh, we cannot say army, Jewish fighting unit <laughs> in the whole world. Uh, uh, not in Palestine, not in the United States, not in Europe, in Shanghai. Hundreds of soldiers and four officers. Second part, I have to talk some unique, some unique uniqueness of the I said, case in China in the end of the Jewish diaspora. Firstly, you can find all the political organizations in China. From the very left wing, you can see this Jewish Labour Party, also Jewish Communist Party. For very right wing, you go with <coughs> All this group you can find very interesting, very uh, active. And this photo is Jewish Labour Party in Shanghai in 1947. When I in Israel, I met the uh, later Prime Minister Isaac Rabin. I showed this photo to him. He said, I never know Labour Party has a run in Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> and the time, it's very active in China. It's a revisionist youth school. And many young people join because they are very active for sports and uh, sometimes military training. 
And this is uh, Shanghai Beikang, a memorial service for Vladimir Jabotinsky in 1914. So many Russians use this uh, revision school. So some later became the, like uh, Omet family, very, uh, very active. So some became the uh, member of Yugong and Likud. And now the Kadima, some is, uh, member is, I know, is, of course they're old now, from China. And Mr. Zorohawa Hartik, he's a peace leader of Mitzrahi in China. <laughs> he was from Poland, and later he became the Minister of Religions Affairs in Israel for almost 15 years. And uh, 1996, when he was 91 years old, he came back to China. I was a guide, a him. He keeps the land. Uh, <clears throat> So uh, he is uh, also the, the people signed in the independent declaration in 1948. And uh, this man is Mordecai Olmet, the father of the, the, the former Prime Minister Olmet. And he was born in Harbin. And uh, his wife also was born in Harbin. The both can speak fluent Chinese with Harbin accent. <laughs> And uh, this is, uh, he come back in 1926, raised money for the, you know, Haganah for the Yugo, for the independent war, the independent war. So he met the, the ladies' committee uh, in Shanghai. And uh, now I talk, the, I just talk the political. Now I talk something about economic. Economic uh, <coughs> activity is very active and very successful, especially by Safar Jews. And the first fam Jewish family to business in China is Sasson. This set is Mr. David Sasson <coughs> and Sumi Sun. That set is David Sasson and Sun Company in Bombay, India, 1932. Then they found an opportunity in China because after the Opium War, China opened the door. Uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai all became the uh, open port. So Sasson family come first set office in Hong Kong, and then uh, in Shanghai, I just mentioned, 1845. And the family was very successful in China. And this building called Sasson Building, now it's called the Peace Hotel in Shanghai. It was a symbol of Sasson family in China, and the family was called the Rothschild in Far East. And, uh, uh, very strong economically and keep very good relations with Chinese leader. Kaduli family, another very influenced family. This is uh, Sir Ili Kaduli and the two sons, Lord, uh, Lord Lawrence and Lord Horace Kaduli. And uh, uh, Lawrence Kaduli is very uh, active in, the <coughs> in the Hong Kong. I, last time I met him, just two months before he passed away in 1993, Oris Kaduri gave a lot of support to education projects, especially to the refugee. The Kaduri family also set up many schools, even in Palestine. And Isaac Rabin told me he graduated from agricultural school, Kaduri Agricultural School in Israel. And the Russian Jews basically do some small business like a farm business, business in Shanghai. 
This is very famous how Siberia fans to buy the Klipanov family. Yesterday, I, in New York, I was uh, Lily Klipanov. His uh, uncle, Grigori Klipanov, set this office, uh, set this uh, stone. Very interesting thing, this store still in Shanghai now. Um, called Siberia Phone Stone. And, uh, but not good business, because the weather getting warmer. <laughs> so, Shanghai, no so they now sell everything, not only fun. <laughs> when the Lily come back to Shanghai, he come back to the store. So the people say, oh, the former boss, the daughter come. She is a niece. Then I talk some the, the cultural education activity in China. Uh, firstly, the Orthodox Judaism, uh, brought by the uh, Polish and some German Jews, of course some Russian Jews. The story about the being yeshiva is very interesting. The yeshiva was very uh, influential yeshiva in Poland, but today is in Belarusia. I uh, try to find uh, in Poland, they, uh, now the territory became part of Belarusia. But now the male, nothing. All the Jewish, the, the, you know, the building and the And but this year, you see why I mentioned this? Because the Yeshiva just escaped from the uh, Poland before the German invasion in September 1939. And the special things, all Yeshiva people, 400 rabbis, students escaped. So other Yeshiva, most, were destroyed by Nazis. But this yeshiva escaped, then they went to Lithuania and got visa from Japanese consul general, we call the Japanese singer. They all the way come to family. They first to Japan, use a transit visa. They cannot stay longer. They try to get a visa to US. The US closed the door. So in the last minutes, only city is Shanghai. So they come to Shanghai. And the interesting thing, all yeshiva in Shanghai continue to study Torah, Talmud every day, like with all the war. After war, the male yeshiva people left Shanghai. Now we have two male yeshiva, one in Brooklyn, another in Jerusalem. When I visited these two yeshiva, I, I was welcome like hero. <laughs> they said, you from our home city. And uh, unfortunately now all the Shanghai people pass away. And, uh, but the people always remember this. They, every year they come back to Shanghai. They have uh, uh, alumni association of New Yeshiva or some, uh, some uh, organization. And I should mention the newspaper publication by the Jews in China. Even in, only in Shanghai, more than 50 publications by the Jewish community uh, in eight languages, English, German, Polish, Hebrew, Yiddish, Japanese, Chinese, even, Russian. Yeah. This one is uh, very important by Sephardic community called the Israel Messenger, found <coughs> in 1904 and stopped by Japanese in December 1941 after the harbor. And you can see very interesting thing. The people here and the English Israel Messenger, and they even have Chinese. <laughs> called Yu Tai Yue Bao, it's mean the Jewish monthly. And now we cannot find a complete one in China, and uh, can find some. But now, in the National Library of Hebrew University, they keep complete one from first to last 
this is a Yiddish publication, especially by the Polish Jews. Also, uh, Rabbi Ashkenazi Berek published in the Yiddish publication. You know, before they come, uh, Chinese already translated some, uh, or, uh, some uh, like Shalom Aleichem's book from Russia and from English. So they brought Yiddish to China. So now we have a PhD candidate to the invitation of the Yiddish publication in China, mainly by the, the Jews from Central Europe. And this is in Russia, in English, uh, in Russia, English and Yiddish. You can see here our life, Nasajin, Russia. And this is very interesting. This is VJD, Japanese surrounding. So they put the, the uh, flag, Soviet Union, Republic of China, United States, UK, there. They uh, celebrate the victory of the World War II. And of course, by refugee, many German publications like this, called Yellow Post, Yellow Post. And they even bring, do some Yiddish drama in Shanghai. So Chinese people are very interested in this drama. So in the history of Shanghai, we are very proud. We have the Yiddish drama. No other city in China. <laughs> and uh, then I talk some of the, of course, uniqueness, but generate a lot of things, because they are part of the diaspora, diaspora Jewish community. So when the Jewish community have some, the, you know, uh, for example, Holocaust influence Shanghai. Designing is spread in Shanghai. Yeah. So, uh, like the Holocaust, they are all come to Shanghai. Uh, this is this photo. We have many this kind of projects. So people left Germany, left Berlin, uh, on the way to Shanghai in 1939. And uh, when they come, first of the third days, they live in such kind of group. 200 people together. Second day, third day, they transfer to some center and camp. <coughs> and many children come. They can only speak German. They even cannot speak English. Not Chinese, of course. So the Katoli family give money to set this school for the refugee children. And it's pure called the Katoli school. Many people now is US citizen. And like the former Secretary of Treasury, Michael Blumen, though, he was educated in this school and later became the PhD, I got PhD in Princeton and became ambassador and Secretary of Treasury when the Carter government. And he is a uh, good friend. I visited not ago, I visited him in Princeton. He now is also director of Jewish Museum in Berlin, invited by German government. So half time in Berlin, half time in the, the Princeton. He was educated there, and also many people. Very successful now in the US, in Australia, in New Zealand, and Israel, and in the, uh, Canada. And they learn to speak English in this school. Of course, they keep the religious uh, service. Like this is by German Jews, plus obviously the basically reform, the reform wing. But Russian Jews in the Orthodox wing. <coughs> then I just mentioned the, the influence of the Holocaust. Uh, after Pearl Harbor, 
As you know, Japanese occupied all of Shanghai, and uh, they are all the American citizens, British citizens became the prisoners. Those Sephardic Jews are in the camp because they're British, or some is American. But the Japanese don't know how to deal with <coughs> this German refugee. Because in namely German citizens, they are alive. But in fact, after 1935, they're not German citizens, according to the So when the Japanese handed it, this man came to Shanghai. His name is Colonel Joseph Meising. He was chief of the Gestapo in Tokyo, Japan. He came to Shanghai in August 1942. He gave a Japanese called the final solution in Shanghai. Now we call the Meising plan. Meising <coughs> plan. This plan asked Japanese to take the opportunity of the Rosh Hashanah Jewish New Year, September 1942. They suggest all the Jewish people come together as an opportunity to arrest. Then the German, the, the Nazis suggest you can set up three concentration camps. We can teach you how to kill Jews, and we can provide you all the equipment free. And they even uh, have very specific uh, plan in the island called Chongming Island. It's the third large island after Taiwan and Hainan is the in the Shanghai area. In this island, it's very good for, for you to set the concentration camp. So this, this is uh, the photo from US Army archives. Because after war, he was a war criminal. And the uh, Japanese had it. Even they kill a lot of Chinese in Nanjing, in other cities, but they still hesitate why we should kill Jews. <coughs> and uh, debating among Japanese leadership. Some people say that yes, Hitler is our alliance, so we should do this. Some people say no. Why we should kill Jews? So finally they reach compromise, not kill Jews, not arrest, not kill Jews, but set some the area in force Jews to move in the area. So finally they set a called the designated area for stateless refugees. Mm -hmm. It means a refugee without nationalities. And this man, Mr. Oya, is Japanese head, commander of this uh, designated area. Any people want to go out, they should uh, apply a special pass. You can go out like 8 uh, a.m. and you have to back at 8 p.m. You cannot stay overnight. And Goya has the right to uh, to issue these special parts that people in the line. But most people, you know, uh, stay there for uh, since uh, they set up in April uh, in uh, February 1943. So Japanese had it for sec several months. Finally, decided to do this because very strong pressure from Nazis. And I should say. Uh, <coughs> no people were killed in this time. But in a very difficult time, especially in 1944, uh, some older people, children, died because of cold weather and the shortage of food for some reason. And this is uh, ghetto life. Many people still remember how their mother and grandmother make the Jewish food in Shanghai. We call Jewish 
about Chinese Jewish acculturation. Uh, I mean, the why I mention this, uh, because uh, in my opinion, in my book, I will give this book to the library of this uh, center, so you can share this. Uh, I always think in China never the native anti-Semitic. Never the, in, I, I said, indigenous and all the spontaneous anti-Semitic. But uh, I should say there was that Say there was, there was some uh, anti-Semitism. Basically, we call the imported uh, or imposed uh, to China. Never uh, made by local Chinese. So uh, in in the, the city of Kaifeng, in Harbin, Tianjin, Hong Kong, Shanghai, uh, everywhere we can uh, see the very. Uh, peaceful relations between Chinese and Jews. And also there are uh, many uh, uh, cases we call the acculturation. 
she was in Kyoto. For example, the refugee in Shanghai. They change all this area. People call this area Little Vienna. They, you know, this is uh, influence each other. They brought the Jewish culture to China, like Yiddish, like Judaism, like kosher food, like Yiddish drama or something. And also they influenced by Chinese culture. Now we keep connection with many old uh, former residents of China. For example, they like Chinese food. But people say that all oh, Jewish like Chinese food, not only. <laughs> and also they, they all have they can speak little Chinese, especially Russian Jews, and they like the they, they use a Chinese name, they like they can use the Tai Chi or they they use the traditional Chinese medicine and so on. Uh, also, so you can see they're also influenced by Chinese culture. They they exerted great influence over over the China. Shanghai city, like, well, I will show you some. Like our Professor Alfred Wittenberg, is a very famous musician in Germany. Before the Nazi, when Nazi came to power, he lost a job. Finally, he came to Shanghai, he became professor of the Shanghai Conservatory of Music. He taught many, many Chinese students. Now the students is the president of Shanghai Conservatory of Music. Many famous musicians, uh, musician. It's his student. He is a very famous violinist. He worked in China. After World War II, many people left China. He never left. He said, I don't want to go back to Germany uh, until he passed away in 1953. So now the, the students set a monument <coughs> in memory of Professor Wedemberg. And also this kind of case in Edo. The Chinese used people live together in Asia. They keep a very good relationship with <coughs> these two people. Because these two people, until now, still keep very good relations. When it's 85, when it's 90, maybe. <laughs> so they give me this photo. Also, the photo is today's photo. Two older people. I, I don't have the uh, space to show too many photos. And also, many children dressed in Chinese way with Chinese dolls. This photo is, uh, all people like this. We have an exhibition in Los Angeles, in the um, Museum of Tolerance, co-sponsored by Simon Wiesenthal Center. And in February, this end of February, we will uh, have opening ceremony in Asian Museum in San Francisco. Also, <coughs> uh, this uh, exhibition. This exhibition will be in New York, DC, and uh, many, many invitations, from, even from small cities like uh, Orlando, Kansas City. Uh, for small cities, it's easy. For large <coughs> so all the museum is full scale. So you have to uh, wait for a long time. And we use this as a cover, first photo. So people like this very much. <laughs> These two ladies now are still well, in Australia, Melbourne, another in, in, in Israel, in Tel Aviv. That's this. Also, Professor uh, Mr. Schiff is a very famous artist. China and he, his book God described Chinese life. Like this, this cartoon called I Like the Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, all this Chinese is not today's Chinese. This is 1930s. Our grandmother's time, Shanghai people like this. But his book is about 400 this kind of cartoon. Vivid. <coughs> and now published in China, <coughs> called Mr. Shifu's. 
paintings. Then I mentioned some of the uh, more political things, this mutual support, Jews and Chinese people. It's a very interesting story is to the first letter by Dr. Shi Yeshen. He was the founder of the Republic of China. We called, call him a father of modern China. He wrote this letter to Mr. Ezra, leader of Jewish community in, China, uh, in Shanghai. He said, we support your movement to rebuild your national home and your state. So uh, still now, Israeli government regards this letter as a great victory for Zionist movement to win the support from East Asian country. After his letter, Japanese expressed support, <coughs> Thailand expressed support, and some other country. And also, I should mention Madame Xi. <coughs> he is the leader of China's democratic movement and also anti-Japanese movement. When the 1933 Nazi came to power to begin the anti-Jewish campaign, Madame Xinjiang led this group to the German consulate in Shanghai. Lodge strong protest. This is the first Chinese leader to do, to, to do this. And you can see his group. It's very important appeal. This is very famous people, Lu Xun. I think if you do research on Chinese history, you know, and Lin Yutang later come to the United States. And Cai uh, Yuanpei, Cai Yuanpei, I think. Mm -hmm. this is Cai Yuanpei. This is Lin Yutang. What is famous leader of China's um, democratic, movement, democratic movement? They establish an uh, organization called the China it's a, a Civil Rights Organization. Then I should mention Council General Feng Shanghuo. He was Council General in Vienna, 1938 and 1940. He is one of the first diplomats who issued a leader to rescue Jews. In 1938, before 1938, it was Chinese embassy. After German occupied uh, Vienna, became Chinese consulate. And after Kristallnacht, Jews cannot find a place. Uh, some friends said that they go to the almost 40 consulates. Always said no. Finally, they come to Chinese consulate, and Dr. Feng Shanghao said yes. How many visa you need? He said I need 11, because the Nazi said if you have visa, you uh, you can release from the concentration camp. Then you must leave in 24 hours. Leave all property here. So he used the 11 visa to save 11 lives. His father, his grandfather, all his people, uh, because it's visa, he said, no, Chinese visa, I can leave. So Gestapo, the German secret police said, okay, go. So uh, 11 people not all come to Shanghai, because at that time, you don't need visa to come to Shanghai. Shanghai is open the door. Any people can get into Shanghai without visa. Why they need a visa? They need a visa to escape. If they don't have visa, you cannot leave. So the importance is in this. So Dr. Feng Shanghao, now we don't know how many visa he needs. Some people said 2,000, some said 3,000. And uh, 
last year we have uh, May of 2008, we have a special ceremony in U.S. Senate in memory of Dr. Uh, Fungsang Ho, his daughter now living in the United States in San Francisco. And I was invited as a VIP. And many senators, Senator Feinstein, Senator Luther, all joined. And U.S. Senator have a special uh, uh, resolution or something in memory of Dr. Fungsang Ho. And we also set a uh, Monument plaque for Fungsang, Dr. Fungsang Ho, and the Israeli officially give him the right among nations, the first Chinese. And you can find many, even many German and Polish rescued Jews. But we said we cannot, uh, I cannot believe, no Chinese. The reason because of war, you cannot find many writing materials. If you want to, uh, you, you say you rescued Jews, you should have. But many Chinese, less educated, maybe they cannot keep this. Feng Ho also didn't mention this. We found this because in Vienna we found some, the, we have seminar in 1994 in South and in Vienna. I met some people, they said that we got feedback from Council General Feng Ho. You should find him. Many diplomats, why not Chinese? So we try to find him. Unfortunately, when he find the uh, Council General from Shanghai, he just passed away. He passed away in 1997, I think. Then we give all the material to the Yed authorities. And they made a very serious investigation. Uh, if you want to uh, issue the amount of rice, this is three conditions. One is, you cannot make money. Secondly, it's not Jew. Service. He uh, rescued you here, but uh, do some other bad things to you in other places. So finally, through one year, the three conditions were all okay. So finally, they issued uh, Dr. Fonsanko our uh, right among the nations, a tree in the Holocaust Museum. So now, the, in US, yeah, why US Senate? Because many refugees now is US citizens. So many people write letters to the U.S. Senate, usually in memory U.S., China, and Austria, the former Chinese, uh, Chinese embassy now is Beethoven House or something like that. And they also put a plaque in memory of Dr. Well, I also should mention the Sugihara <coughs> Japanese Council in Lithuania. Also, he also used many visa to rescue Jews. Mil Yeshiva people got visa. The interesting is we have two Jewish generals in Chinese army. The first is Maurice Cohen. Uh, we call him Tugang Cohen because he always had Tugang here. <laughs> <laughs> he was very close assistant to Dr. Sun Yanxian. After Dr. Sun passed away, he worked for many uh, Chinese leaders, including Jiang Daishi, and he became very close friend of Madame Sun Yanxian. And so after 1949, he, he was very special. He kept good relations with Taiwan and with men. And this is he uh, come back to China in front of the stadium, uh, the monument uh, of the museum. And now in the United States, there uh, are two books about him. And in Hollywood, they want to make a movie. And uh, I don't think now they have script trying to write something. But this will be very interesting movie about him.
Another one is Dr. Jacob Rosenfeld. He is Jewish general in the Chinese Communist Army. He was a left-wing people in Vienna. He was a member of the Labour Party, uh, social Labour, uh, social, Socialist Party, and he was arrested by Nazi party in Gutenberg. And he, uh, he got visa from Dr. Fuzanho, come to Shanghai. He was a PhD in the uh, Vienna University Medical School. So he opened a small clinics in Shanghai. Then he go to the communist, uh, the, the army's area. He joined the Chinese army. He worked there for almost 10 years. And after 1949, the Chinese government wanted to appoint him as a vice minister of health. But he uh, wanted to come back to Austria to try and find his relatives. So, uh, so the Chinese government said, okay, I uh, hope you can come back. Uh, so, but very sad, when he arrived in Vienna, he found all the relatives were killed. You know, cannot find one relatives. But finally, he found a, 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 a cousin, a cousin in Israel. So he went to Tel Aviv, unfortunately, heart attack. Passed away in 1952 in Namat Gan. So it's a very uh, rare case. The Chinese government don't know where he is. China find him cannot because no diplomatic relations between China and Israel. Until 1992, both countries established a diplomatic relations. <coughs> then Chinese government know he already passed away. So now they're set by Chinese the set monument in Namatkan. When the president of China visited Israel, pays special visit to this monument. Then the, about <coughs> the Jews from China and Jews in today's China. Jews from China now live in all parts of the world. Many United States reunion. <coughs> Still some Jews in China became Chinese citizens uh, in our Congress almost 10 members, 10 Jewish members. Now the four passed away, now still five. Of course, they're, they're Chinese citizens. Most important people is Mr. Israel Epstein. He joined the Chinese revolution. He is very close friend of the, the Down In fact, he was born in Lithuania. And he is a left-wing people. His father was a member of a bond, a very left-wing.
he's still alive, still alive, almost 90. And they have many reunions, like this Shanghai reunion. Uh, every year they meet together in Australia, they're in, this is a city in Australia, in Berlin, in Vienna, in Canada, in the United States. And then many people come back, like Michael Blumenthal, he was secretary Chelsea, come back. There are several articles in New York Times, the Washington Post, about his return to Shanghai Gateway. Lord Kaduri, Lord Lawrence Kaduri, this is, I visited him in Hong Kong, 1989, I think. He was already 91. <coughs> uh, his son came back. Uh, maybe you know Ambassador Yosef Tokoa. He was the Israeli ambassador to the United States. And in Shanghai, his name is Tukachinsky. He was the leader of Shanghai Beitang. He came back with the uh, Passover reunion in, in 1989. First time they used Israeli passport. And Mr. Shaw Eisenberg, he was refugee. After war, he became very rich. And he invested in China uh, a lot. His dream was set to Shanghai Diamond Exchange Center. He signed an agreement with the mayor of Shanghai before he, uh, three days before he passed away. Then his family continued to do this. So now I'm very happy to say the Shanghai Diamond Exchange Center, very, uh, very active, very prosperous in China. In fact, uh, almost uh, 15 years ago, before he doing this, he asked me, he said, how many percent Chinese getting rich? I said, I don't know, maybe 5%. He said, oh, there is no market for the diamond. Then I asked him, do you know how many Chinese? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the idea. <laughs> I told him, he said, oh, this is a 60 million. So we decided to do this. <laughs> now the diamond uh, the center now have more than 200 members from New York, from Tel Aviv, from Antwerp, from South Africa. Became a center, really a diamond center for not for China, for all the Far East. Market in Japan, in Korea, in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in Taiwan, and then in the east part of China, many people getting rich. <coughs> and today's China, what about today, the Jewish community? Uh, in Hong Kong, about 5,000 Jews, uh, very successful. Usually said 3,000 because uh, 2,000 people never go to cinema. So uh, I, I think five to 6,000. Uh, in Shanghai, I, I should tell you now, the number increased. Now almost three to 4,000. Five years ago, only 500. Because more and more companies come to China, more and more banks come to China, more and more business. So most is, is uh, I think most, is from the United States, Canada, Australia, and 20% from Israel, from Europe. <coughs> in Taiwan, also a small Jewish community. The president's name of Shapiro, Ron Shapiro. Shapiro, he is a businessman. <coughs> I show you the interesting photo. They have a Jewish wedding in Shanghai Senegal in 2008, March 2008. You can see this more clear. <coughs> <coughs> the uh, rabbi come from all the Asia, from Singapore, from Shanghai, all Hasidim. 
Now we have uh, three in, in Shanghai, I always say Shanghai, uh, three Jewish communities. And, uh, Rabbi Greenberg from the United States, Chabad, and another the first center, a second center by his brother. And the third center is very interesting, called the Center for Safari Jews. Only for Safari Jews. So three centers already, 3,000, 4,000. Finally, I say a few words about hot topic. More and more book come. I bring my several book. Unfortunately, I cannot avoid it. This is called the Jews in China. And uh, 2001, and uh, then this is 2005 edition. This is the Jews in Shanghai, only about Shanghai. And this is Jews Asia. Do the comparative studies of Jews in China, Japan, India, Singapore, and Philippines. And this is Chinese book called Jewish Studies in China. 30 years retrospective, from 1978 to 19, uh, 2008. And this is a book by Rina Klaus, a Russian Jew. He was born in Shanghai. This is a very interesting, all small story. And I write to the professor of her. She now lives in uh, Palo Alto, near Stanford University. And a monument for Holocaust. When the professor is small in Shanghai, we uh, bring him to there. Many people uh, come to Shanghai, like Isaac Rabin, or Israel leader. I don't give all uh, photos. And uh, President Isaac Weizmann, uh, Yehuda Ahmed. I should mention him. He came to Shanghai only for uh, one day. He did all the <coughs> Jewish sites. I come him. He said, I must go to Harbin to see my grandfather. So he fly to Harbin, stay at two or three hours to the Jewish cemetery. So I show you this, you can see this is his grandfather. This is a Russia, Yosef Mosimovich, all in Matt, his father, passed away in 1941. So this is very significant. So I took this photo and show you. And Simon Harris, he visited China many times, very close friend of China. And we invite him to join the opening of Olympic. And <coughs> Sir Ayo Shalom. And I mentioned, should mention some not Jewish leader, President of Austria, Thomas Kresti, he came to Shanghai, especially visit this area. He said, I, today I come. First, I want to say sorry. We cannot protect them, and they come to China. Secondly, I want to say thank you. Thanks to Chinese people for uh, rex rescue them. Especially, I should mention German uh, Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder. He's very smart people. Every time he comes to Shanghai, he visits the Jewish area. He said, I want to show the world never again. Especially, I remember 1999, I accompanied him. That time, the new Nazi party on the street, and in Austria, the new Nazi party came to parliament. He was very angry. So I should, he said I should pay a visit to the syndicate. He want to shoot the world. And of course, this lady you know. <laughs> and this is, uh, it was nine, uh, let me see, July, 1998. Uh, we worked very hard for her visit. For three months, the security people come to check everything. 
only 15 minutes. But finally, he gave a speech 15 minutes. So totally 30 minutes. Very nice. And uh, he, uh, he really could speak. And uh, he stand there with all the member delegation for two minutes in memory of Jewish community, especially Holocaust victims. <coughs> and I should mention Simon Lissenson. Uh, also Simon Lissenson, because they do Holocaust studies. So very interested in Shanghai. I did it in, in Vienna. Recently, <coughs> we translated this book, Sunflower in Chinese, in memory of uh, We now have Austria Holocaust Memorial Service every year. They send young people to our center. This is not Jewish. They come to our center for one year service, like one year military service. I think Germany and Austria do this very well. And the, for the 60th anniversary of the, the ghetto, we have a special seminar in November 2005. And Michael Blumens invited him to give a keynote speech. So I think this is maybe last one. Yes, should stop here. And uh, I think uh, we can keep more time for questions. Thank you very much.